everybody. Welcome to another Hoss Talks Floss. I'm the Hoss, Matt Yakovit, head of open source strategy here at Percona. And today I'm joined by Avi Press, the CEO of Scarf. Avi, how are you doing today? I'm uh, doing great. Excited to be here. Great. Great to hear. Now, Avi, um, I'm passionate about open source and, you know, I have had lots of conversations around measuring open source. And I know Scarf is designed to help measure, you know, the impact in, of your projects and what's happening in the open source space. But before we get there, I wanted to talk to you and ask you about you. Where did you start your career and how did you get involved in open source? Yeah, so my my career background is in software engineering, um, and I would say I got into open source kind of from two different sides. Um, so you know, one of them just being a developer, all the tools that I was using, just you know, up and down the stack is open source, and just get very involved with it that way. Um, my first programming job, um, I worked at Pandora right out of school and was using a lot of open source there, and um, really got to deal with a lot more of the open source community just by way of depending on these tools in an industrial setting, needing to work through bugs as they pop up in our dependencies. Um, but down the road, I think I really more um, got the experience from the maintainer side of things when I was just building tools for myself for fun or for work or whatever and just putting them out there. Um, you know, if they were useful to me, maybe they'd be useful to other people and just kind of put stuff online. And um, you know, as some of the projects picked up steam and people came for contributions or um, questions or whatever it might have been, just continued to kind of walk down the path of an open source maintainer. Um, and that's really what um, got me so hooked on open, the, the experience of being an open source of just, you know, wow, someone from Brazil or Finland or you know, Nigeria contributing to the project. That, that's such a, it's, it's a, a really incredible thing to see a project take off like that. And, and you really didn't start off as a maintainer then. So you started off as that user, that end user who is, you know, appreciating using and you're like, hey, I, I want to develop something to work on. Might as well throw it out there as open source. And people just started using it. Pretty much. Um, I, I think I was got lucky a couple times with Hacker News of just like, you know, just put it on, throw it uh, up there. And then sometimes you get that little shotgun blast of, uh, of PR for the project. And, you know, often that just goes away and dissipates in, you know, 24 hours. But some some people stick around. And um, that's that's when you get kind of the semblance of whatever early kind of community you're going to build. Yeah. If you, if you could go viral on Hacker News, people love it, right? Like, so you, you get a big bump, you know, like I, I've got gotten like, you know, 30, 40,000 views, you know, just from one hacker news on the front page. Right. And yeah. um, it, it, it can, it can really boost things. Now, you know, as you were this maintainer, you were starting to look at these projects and people started to contribute and started to work with you, started to download, started to use. Um, you, you, you know, from what I understand, you found that there was a deficiency in understanding your users. Absolutely. And maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, so my projects were distributed. So, you know, co code being on GitHub and the artifacts I was distributing either on the package registries of the language I was using, which was largely Haskell. So package being the main registry um, or via Docker containers um, on Docker Hub. All I really knew about the impact of my project was, well, here's how many downloads I have. And here's how many pissed off people are opening up issues on GitHub about something <laughs> that I broke for them. Um, and the, you know, all the lovely people that were contributing and um, like, that's basically all I had to work with. Um, but 
you know, anytime people would come in with, you know, some um, issue or complaint um, and that person complaining was in a big company, that's a pretty stressful situation to be in as a maintainer. You know, you want your project to look good. You want to look good in, in the space. And so um, over time, that uh, that increased maintenance burden was kind of the, the thing that was, you know, someone says, hey, this doesn't work on this. This breaks on Windows. And I and I wonder, well, how many people are actually using this on Windows? Like, should I actually prioritize <laughs> this or not? Or should I just say, I hope someone comes in and fixes it because I don't have a way. I'm not on a Windows machine or I wasn't at the time. I'm still not. Um, and so metrics were kind of failing me both from a like just doing my work as a maintainer perspective, um, but also the perspective of well, if I'm providing value to people at big businesses, should I start a company around these tools? Maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't, but I didn't have any data to help actually answer that question. And that's how Scarf was born, is a way to measure the impact for your projects. Because let's be honest, um, necessity is the father of all innovation, as they say. And so, you know, having the pain of understanding how you could maintain these projects better, you started to look at, ways to collect additional metrics and find out more data on who's using and how it's being used in the wild. That's exactly right. Um, it, you know, at the time, a lot of the tools I was putting out there were like command line utilities of one form or another. And um, it didn't seem, it seemed kind of weird to, for instance, stand up like a backend just so I could collect metrics from those CLIs, for instance. Um, but the distribution channels I was using to get the stuff out there just wasn't helping at all. Um, and when I thought about, okay, well, like if I did, you know, connect with say a commercial user, like what would I even do? Like, how would I what would I sell to them if I was trying to build a business? Um, you know, I could try to broker a support contract. Uh, maybe I could try to change the license structure and sell them access to additional features. But if I did, how would I give them those new features? Like I would have to just do all of the gating inside the CLI application. Like, do I really want to start like putting Stripe integrations into a command line app? Like that's crazy. Um, and so it really became, it, it really became a front of mind um, problem of like, how do I get better data out of distribution channels? And how do I, how do I have distribution of my software that actually is amenable to the kinds of things that I would like to do? Um, and so those ideas are really what got Scarf started. Um, I, I, I put out a blog post with these two pieces in mind, like the analytics and then the like, commercialization of the distribution channels. Um, and that blog post is what kind of took off more than other things I put online. And that's what told me that, oh yeah, there's actually a lot of other developers that are struggling with these things as well. And there might actually be something that I could do to address it. So um, what so, exactly yeah. is SCARF? You know, like people <laughs> yeah. haven't, haven't experienced it. So we, we've been talking a little bit about the metrics, your journey, and it's a really interesting story, um, you know, because I think it's, it's a very common story, right? You know, you start off, you know, using open source, you build some tools to help you out. People start to use them. They start to get popular. You have no idea who's using them or how they're using them. They're asking you for help. Right. And, and you're like, right. I don't know if I should do this or not. I don't know how to handle this. Um, and then that leads you to creating Scarf, 
um, which most people don't create scarf. You're the only one. So it's, it's proprietary to you. Uh, but, you know, so so that's where the story deviates. But it's a very common story. So you, you, you built scarf to solve these problems. What is it? Tell us what it is. Yeah, um, Scarf has definitely evolved since I first started working on it, but where what it has turned into um, is a set of tools to aid with open source distribution, analytics, and then downstream for that commercialization. Um, so we build tools that help you understand you know, how are people down, like, how are people downloading the software? Where in the world are users? What companies do they work at? Um, what versions are in use, all these kinds of things that um, are really commonplace kind of metrics in other domains of software, but not in open source. Um, and so we're trying to really make it so that if you are an open source project company maintainer, you can understand the impact of your work. You know what companies rely on it. You can connect with those companies and you can build a business around your tools, or you just understand, you know, what, 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 what is the impact of what you are doing in the open source space and, and better understand that. Um, um, and so, you know, whatever your goals are, um, they will probably be aided by being informed and being able to make data-driven decisions. Um, and that's kind of the, that is the foundation of what we're building. Um, yeah, so it's a suite of tools that all fit together. We'll give you different pieces of the story here so you can kind of understand the journey that your users are going through when it comes to your open source. Like, how do they discover it? How do they use it? Where are they getting stuck? Um, how are they engaging? Okay. And, and, you know, that suite of tools, you know, obviously the, the, the two that are really out there now, one is geared towards measuring who's accessing and using your documentation. The others on the, the SCARF gateway, which I understand is just, um, it's a, it's a, it's basically a proxy server that collects data. It's a gateway that allows you to, um, you know, see who's coming in and asking for, you know, right now downloads or, or, or packages, but it could be anything really. Um, it's whatever you want to measure, right? That's exactly right. Um, it uh, very similar to, you know, how Bitly works for URL shortening. We've kind of taken that idea and applied it more uh, for the open source space. So you can put packages behind it, containers behind it, arbitrary URLs and files behind it. People put their whole websites behind it. Um, and it's just kind of a, you know, a way to, put up some very, very easily put up some analytics in front of um, whatever it is that you distribute, but then also making them available all from one place. Um, so you can be distributing, you know, files from GitHub releases, um, you know, executables on S3 and Docker Hub containers all from the same, you know, all from the same endpoint. And it just kind of just works for all the whatever package managers you might be pulling that down from. Yeah, and I think that you know what, what's what's interesting is um, you aren't just relying on download stats. And in my experience, a lot of projects they start early on focused on downloads. That's how they get their funding. That's how they you know prove their growth, their adoption. Right? I got a million downloads, but oftentimes when you talk download numbers, those are often skewed or unreliable. That is exactly right. Um, I think this is more common than we would like to admit uh, in the open source space that, you know, you may have a million downloads a month, um, but realize that 95% of them come from two people that just have a CI pipeline that is pulling all the time. Um, and we see this like that, that is not a made up, uh, that is not a made up scenario at all. That is very real. Um, and 
um, yeah, I think from, yeah, from, you know, building a business and raising money from, from institutional investors or whatever that might look like, it's very different to say, yeah, we have a thousand downloads from one person or a thousand downloads from a hundred people or, you know, 150 businesses. These are all very different contexts and they have very different uh, implications for what opportunity you have in front of you. Um, and making that more available in open source more generally just means that we can have maintainers that are making better decisions uh, in general and, you know, maintaining their software more effectively and more proactively, I think would be a, another very underrated aspect of this because um, my personal experience as a maintainer, just it often just felt like you're just drowning under, you know, the, the issues and bugs and these kinds of things, never really getting out from, uh, from under it uh, because you only really know something when someone comes and tells you, um, which by then in a lot of circumstances is already too late. Yeah. And, and I think that, um, you know, as, as we start to, you know, invest more in the open source space um, as, as a society and as we see more of these projects come along, the, the, the need for more analytics on what's happening is, is just growing in this space. Um, now, now, I'm really curious, um, you, you know, you, you, you have users who are using SCARF to, you know, uh, collect metrics and collect data on, you know, their packages. Um, where are you seeing any trends or seeing anything in that? Like, you know, it used to be, like I said, people distributed through, you know, yum repos or, you know, like, um, you know, that your classic Linux repos and, and I, and, 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 and that's, it's evolved. Right. So now you've got, you know, uh, uh, you know, Python uh, has their own repos and you can get repos for Ruby and you can get, you know, like repos for you know, everything else. And, and we're seeing Docker containers. So it, from a packaging perspective, how are people releasing their software nowadays? Um, is it changing? Yeah, it's a good question. In terms of how things are getting released, I mean, I think it... <laughs> in a lot of, in some ways, these things are getting a little bit more... Um, you know, decentralized in, in some sense that you do want to start pushing um, artifacts to different places depending on use cases. Um, the, the Linux world is a really great example because you have to basically manage, you know, am I going to be, yeah, am I going to be in kind of the mainline, you know, apt and yum, or do I want to self-host these repositories or what do we want to do? And in practice, you might want to do multiple things. And in the container world, it, it, there's been a lot of similar discussion here where everyone was pushing a Docker hub for a long time. And then suddenly they say, actually, we're going to start rate limiting anonymous uh, accounts from how much they can pull from us, you know, effectively gating access to other people's work, um, putting a paywall in front of other people's work and cutting the creators of that work out of the equation entirely. And so you have a lot of people that then want to switch to GitHub or switch to Google or these other things, but there's that lock-in effect as well. Um, so yeah, I think I, I think the overall trend with publishing that I would say is, is changing over time and we see changing is just a desire for more control over the distribution channel. So it, you know, it should be something that, you know, 
serve from your own domain, not from someone else's domain, because they can unilaterally make these changes to your distribution that you have no control over, which is a, a, a increasingly hmm. problematic situation, I think. Um, so that, that's, that's an interesting shift, right? Because if you are coming, you know, kind of full circle, because I mean, like early days before, you know, we had repositories, everything was self-hosted. So you're, you're seeing kind of that reversal where now we're saying like, okay, we were hosting on X, but now we're going to host, you know, on our own. Um, you think that's driven because there are so many places that you could go get software and it's just difficult to deploy to all of them? Um, that's a good question. I mean, I think that's certainly part of it. I, I know that I see a lot of, um, we see a lot of companies that are specifically with Linux packaging of like, there's so many places we need to push this to that it's easier to just push it here. And then we can let the, we can let the repository maintainers at, you know, Debian or wherever do their own thing with this. And, um, you know, I think that there's, yeah, there's, there's those pros and cons to, to that model, I think, but, uh, ultimately, yeah, ultimately, I think it's kind of, it's, it, you know, it's on you to, to distribute. If, if you want to have any say in how these things are distributed, distributed, you will ultimately need to do some of it um, yourself or have some kind of policy um, on what you do here. Um, and I think over time, we are also seeing, you know, improvements in the observability of these things over time. So like, you know, the um, Python being a lot better, like the, a lot of data that you can get out of the uh, PyPI and these kinds of registries same with like rust with crates.io and these these other sources that are giving a little bit better insight here as there's um you know more choice for what you can do yeah honest honestly i think the the choice aspect of this is, is really big that just you know we don't get locked into the single platform of the day we can we can go to multiple places um which is also really important for service continuity. What happens when one of these registries goes down? What do you do? Like people are just offline for a while. Um, development flows stop while CI is crashing and these kinds of things. So um, yeah, I think <laughs> rambling to, to get towards an answer to this, but yeah, I think that's one of the big shifts that we are seeing is kind of more ownership being taken over distribution. And, you know, I think that, you know, how Scarf works, from what I understand is it, it provides a gateway, almost like a bit.ly, right? Like, so yeah. you, you have a URL and it basically, you know, passes through that channel and then it can ultimately go to any of the repositories behind the scenes. But because you have that gateway, you control some of the data that's being collected and how often it's being referenced. So if you're going to go and pull out of, you know, Docker Hub, for instance, you would then put the gateway in front, which would then allow you to collect more data that you might have to pay Docker to get access to on their side, but it's only going to show you a portion of um, what that uh, th those downloads are because you, you, you know, odds are you might have multiple places where you're hosted. So how do you aggregate them, um, into one? And I think that, that, that's another, um, interesting thing. Uh, you know, I, I've been a big proponent of figuring out how to measure the effectiveness of open source for a while. And, uh, you know, I, I view this as a, you know, you mentioned the pipeline earlier. I really view this as, you know, as you start out, you're looking at those, you know, like who's curious about your product. And I know you, you have a, a, a documentation um, 
you know, uh, product as well to say like, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll check, you know, who's accessing the documentation. But then it's like, okay, once you've, you've checked that, then it's try it out. And then that's the download phase, right? And so, you know, if you look at, you know, who's accessing the website, who's accessing my documentation, who is downloading, um, and then, you know, moving down to who is re-downloading and using it again in a month or two months or three months. That, that's a really interesting, you know, like way to view the data. But I'm curious, there's also this kind of negative connotation around like collecting data now, especially in, you know, with GDPR in Europe and, you know, PII. So what are you doing to, uh, you know, prevent collecting too much data um, or, you know, uh, keeping people's data safe? <laughs> That's a very good question um, because it's not easy to it's not easy to do all of this stuff and still be compliant with things like GDPR. And so, um, one of the things that our system does, so our users don't have to do it, is that once we process um, once we process metadata for an IP address, like you know what country did this come from or what company was associated with a given download or view or whatever, um, we then go delete that information from our system. So we're not actually holding on to these raw IP addresses um, or PII in the event that SCARF were to get hacked or something. And so, you know, we're not we're not sending um, those IPs out to our users because we don't have them to to give them, um, which I think solves a lot of these solves a lot of these problems. Um, ultimately, that's on us to you know make sure that we're um, you know very rigidly doing that, and there's not bugs that can potentially leak that information anywhere. But um, by doing that work and making that available to people, that ends up kind of securing a, a lot of these things and. One of the aspects of this conversation that I feel like is not often talked about enough is that the you know we're always talking about oh well what about the PII that's associated with what Scarf is collecting, but like all the existing registries also collect this stuff today. They just don't use it and they just don't give the maintainers access to it. But that doesn't mean it's not being collected. It doesn't mean mm. that if someone were to you know hack one of these registries tomorrow that a bunch of PII wouldn't be leaking about exactly who was using what. Um, we just don't confront the fact that this data is being collected or make use of it. Um, and so I think this is something that really applies to a lot about open source and privacy and economics is that like these incentives are there. We're just kind of like keeping a blind eye to it. And we really uh, would benefit from being much more explicit about what's in play here. Yeah. So, so really what you're saying is you're just taking the data that is not being used, but is available and using it. Um, uh, depending on what you mean by available here, but yeah, like it's available well, to Docker, it's available to NPM and yeah. So yes, exactly right. So, right. so it's really about, uh, about freeing, you know, the, the, the data that other people are already collecting on your users. <laughs> That's exactly I mean, right. Yeah. And you know, so I think, uh, which it, is, oh. yeah. Yeah, no, that's an interesting angle, right? Because, you know, from a, you know, yeah, I've got users using my product all around the world and, you know, all these other companies, all these other, you know, uh, projects know about them. They might not do anything with it, but they can get access. They can do all this stuff with it. I can't. Right, right. And like, if anyone is going to have that data, the maintainers, I think most people would agree would be the one group of people that should really have it. Um, and so... Uh, one of the things that we learned really early on, though, is that it's not really just about what data is being collected that people are sensitive to. It's also how it is collected. Mm. Um, and so 
one of the things that we tried early was we made a JavaScript library that would just send these, it basically had a post installation hook that would send these statistics up to Scarf. The exact same stuff that NPM would collect from there um, as the way that their terms of service define. But people had a really, um, people really didn't like it because we were basically inserting analytics and phone home mechanisms in a place where it didn't exist before. And so we got a lot of pushback on that um, from the end users of the maintainers that were using Scarf. And so um, the, the, the way that we've approached this with Scarf Gateway has proved to be a lot better because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't involve any code instrumentation. It's kind of just part of the normal path and no additional hooks are being added, which um, seems to which seems to be very important to people. Although I think ultimately we should probably care more about the data being collected, but you know, nevertheless, here we are. So we got to just do what people, we got to just do what people want. Telemetry is often a challenge, right? And I mean, unfortunately you can't build a solid product, continue to grow without understanding who and how your stuff is being used. Um, and, And I'm not talking about who from an individual, right? So, and this is where there's a fine line, you know, knowing that, you know, 30 people from this kind of like, you know, basic demographic use a product in a certain way is different than knowing Avi uses it this way. Right. right? And, and, and I think that, you know, there, there's, there's a fine line between those two, but the pushback often gets pushed back on both when really it's more about the individual, right? Like preventing the individual's data. And it is an interesting thing because we've seen this in the past several years where people have tried to move more towards the telemetry and gotten just, you know, slapped down because of it. Um, Because people don't want to potentially be tracked, even though they're already being tracked. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a real tough thing. I think we just haven't really accepted how much this is already like, these wheels have been in motion for a long time. And now that there's like explicit discussion of it, um, you know, there's more hesitation around it, but um, ultimately because it's there, it's really a question of, it's not a question of should we collect it? It's a question of who should have access to it. And that's, that's, I think the crux of the, the crux of the issue here. So, Avi, I'd like to, you know, go through a rapid fire round of questions. Um, These are completely random. I have no idea what I'm going to ask. So so it might be scary, but it's okay. We'll get through it. All right. All right. So, so, Avi, what was the first programming language you used? Scheme in college. I loved it. Scheme. Absolutely loved it. Yeah, Scheme. Yeah. I don't even know if I've heard of Scheme. What is Scheme? Oh, Scheme okay. is a, it's a flavor of Lisp. Um, oh, yeah, okay. A particular All flavor right. of Lisp. Yeah, so I was in college. Yeah. I was like, what? <laughs> What? I, 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 I hadn't heard of that. I mean, you know, I guess it dates me a little bit. Maybe I, I just missed that one. So, yeah. so okay. So if, if you're going to sit down today and hack out some code, what are you going to write it in? I will. Pro- uh, it depends on what I'm building, but uh, my tool of choice these days is, is typically Haskell. Uh, I really love coding in Haskell, and uh, it, Scarf is largely built in it. And why Haskell? 
Um, that's a great question. I mean, I, there's a lot of, there's a lot of objective benefits that I would point to, but ultimately just cause it's what I enjoy coding the most, but why I enjoy it the most is because I really enjoy languages that have a huge emphasis on the type system, um, and on static verification that the program does what I think it does when I write the code. And so Haskell, I think is a joy to code in because it's the only language where you can sit down, write something very complex, fight with the compiler for an hour and then once it compiles it might just work <laughs> like <laughs> without ever having like the first time you actually can execute the program it very good chance it does what you think it does it's not to say it's like you know a perfect system or anything but i think that that experience of like wrestling with the compiler to really explicitly um you know code what i have in my brain and, and have it just just run is is uh, a very particular kind of joy that i really really like Okay, well, fair enough. Uh, yeah. Most used application on your desktop? Ooh. Um, I mean, I assume we're not including browsers here. Um, it could I mean, be a browser. It doesn't it's matter probably to me. Chrome then, but I think a more no. interesting one, I do live in Emacs all day, even as a non oh. even when I'm not writing code anymore, because all of my notes and to-dos, and I use org mode very extensively. Um, and so I don't, I, I don't like Emacs. I'm, I'm a VI That's guy. fair. I, if, if it, if it matters, I use space Mac, So I'm using Vim bindings within, uh, within oh. Emacs. I don't know <laughs> if that changes things for you at all. No, but... <laughs> it, it's, it's one of those things, right? You know, it's, yeah. it's okay. I won't hold it against you. That's fine. That I appreciate that. Um, you know, uh, and, and so if, if you are going to go to a conference, meet up with someone and you're all going to go out to dinner, what are you going to order nine times out of 10? Ooh, um, just a, a, a generic, any kind of restaurant. Generic, or, anything like, like you just, you just, you just go, what's your favorite food? What are you going to look for first? Um, any kind of noodle dish. I really enjoy like pasta, noodles, okay. anything like that. I'm a big fan. Big carb. Fair guy. enough. No <laughs> carbs. Carbs. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You're not doing the keto diet then. So that's I am okay. not. No, I am yeah, not. Yeah, okay, <laughs> not for now much. anyway. And, um, you know, last book you read. Um, the last book I read, um, oh, that's a good, <laughs> I'm not, re I don't read nearly as many books as I ought to these days, but the last book that I read was, um, Norwegian Wood I read recently, which I really enjoyed. Okay. I, I'm not familiar <laughs> with it. I'll have to look it up. Yeah. 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 I, I think I, I don't actually read fiction all that often, but, uh, it did happen recently that, uh, a fiction oh, book was okay. uh, recommended. And so I read it. Yeah. I, if you I would highly doing, recommend. Yeah. yeah. If you weren't doing scarf, what would you be doing? Oh, that's a great question. I would, I mean, I'd probably still just be, um, I'd probably be an engineer at, at a startup around in, in, in the Bay area. Uh, I don't know exactly what, but, um, okay, that's so, what I was so doing before, do, but, okay, but if do I wasn't technology, doing, okay. technology, okay, if I wasn't doing like, technology like, take, take, um, take the tech out. What would you okay. Mean? Fair enough. Um, Ooh, I, uh, I mean, perhaps, hmm. I, I, I almost became, I was on track to the, to in, in college, I was on a pre-med route. Um, and before really? I kind of really okay. fell in love with programming, like really just went off the, off the deep end with coding. So I probably would have been a doctor. <laughs> um, wow. Okay. But, uh, right. but yeah, these days I also, I, I got very, um, I, I really love baking as well. And so maybe some version of me would have been a baker. <laughs> well, there you go. What, what yeah. are you baking lately? Like, is it, is it cookies, bread, you know, like what, what are you baking? 
I bake a lot of bread. Yeah. Or not, not so much these days with scarf really, uh, really kind of put a wrench into a lot of that, but, uh, I really love baking bread and bagels and just any kind of like yeah, anything related to that. Like savory All bread right. Really into. Yeah. So it fits with the carb theme. It just fits saying. with the carb theme. Yeah. That didn't come from yeah. nowhere. <laughs> um, but Hey, everybody who's, who's listening in, if you are, do have a project, you're looking to get some additional metrics, on who's using how the project being used out in the wild, check out Scarf. Um, it's free. You can you can sign up. You can start using it today. Get some additional metrics and uh, let Avi know if you have some feedback. I'm sure him and the team would really appreciate the help. Feedback is always extremely welcome, and we will send you a scarf scarf if you do. Oh, wait a minute. That's what you send out as scarf scarves? We yeah, we sometimes will send uh, out scarf scarves. They are they are our favorite uh, company swag that we have. Okay, so but I have to ask, is it like one of those Doctor Who scarves with like the the twelve foot you know like rainbow? Because those are awesome. It's not, but we are going to be making some new ones soon. So I will take that okay. as some feedback yeah, yeah, yeah. for what yeah, the next yeah. one should it, look so, like. So if you want to be geeky, like go for the Doctor Who scarf. Just saying. Just saying. Noted. Yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> All right. Um, Avi, thanks for coming out today, chatting with me for a little bit, sharing with us about scarf, uh, about download metrics and, you know, a few other things. So I do appreciate the time. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This was fun. All right. And people who are watching, go ahead and feel free to like, subscribe, tell us uh, what you'd like to hear from uh, or who from next. Um, and if you have questions for Avi, just leave them in the comments uh, and we'll make sure he, uh, he gets them. Uh, until next time, everyone. Thanks a bunch. Wow. What a great episode that was. We really appreciate you coming and checking it out. We hope that you love open source as much as we do. If you like this video, go ahead and subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, tune in to next week's episode. We really appreciate you coming and talking open source with us.